We are in Acts. We can turn there to chapter 8, continuing our series through Acts. Last week, I said we were going to meet Simon, and we didn't. Instead, we learned about the Samaritans. And so tonight, we're going to meet Simon the Samaritan. Where we find ourselves is we learned about Stephen, and he was set up as a deacon along with Philip, who we're about to read about. And they were set up to help with dispersing food and money to the congregation, people who were in need and people who were hurting. And then Stephen was caught up in this dispute, sort of led by Saul, who will later become Paul and who wrote much of the New Testament. And uh, Saul sort of led that that argument, and which turned violent, and they ended up stoning and killing Stephen. And after that, Saul they sort of honored Saul in a in a weird way, and and he was set up as this guy who would just hunt down Christians, put them in jail, kill them sometimes. And because he started doing that, all of this massive Christian church that was being set up in Jerusalem was dispersed, except for the apostles. So the 12 apostles stay in Jerusalem, but the thousands of people who recently came to know Jesus, they go into the surrounding areas. And you don't have to turn there, but Acts chapter 1, Jesus actually prophesies about this. They ask him when he's going to set up the kingdom of Israel. And in in verse 7 it says, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, which we read about in chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, Jerusalem's where the huge movement started. That's in chapter 2 where Peter preaches. Thousands are saved and baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Then Saul comes. There's this dispersion. People go into Judea and into Samaria. So we're going to see through Acts all of this area that Jesus prophesied about being preached to and people coming to know the Lord, including the ends of the world. So we're going to learn about that as we continue through Acts here in chapter 8. What's happening is that, again, Saul is being set up. There's this dispersion. And in chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So Philip is preaching, and the Holy Spirit is working mightily through him. Again, the ministry given to him by the church was to be a deacon and sort of love and take care and serve people. And we see here that the calling of God for Philip's life was further than that. So same thing with Stephen, where he's doing what he's been called to do by his church, but God calls him further to preach, do all these crazy miracles, and now he's going into Samaria uh, and evangelizing there. As we continue here in verse 9, 
It says, but there was a certain man called Simon, here he is, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. So Simon here is, uh, some of your Bibles might say, uh, the magician, that's sort of closer to the original language. It's not talking about sorcery and some of the other, uh, the way the New Testament talks about sorcery. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but this Simon is claiming to be someone great. He, he's, he's sort of ambiguous in who that great person is, but he's sort of letting people draw their own conclusions. And they say he's the great power of God, the sort of God's power incarnate. So basically, he is fine with people thinking he's the Christ, or at least some great prophet. He is doing whatever the, the, the magical things he's doing. We can get a closer look at that. Uh, you can keep your finger here, but if you want to go with me, it's just going to be a couple of verses in Deuteronomy, chapter 18. This is where a, a good biblical definition of sorcery or uh, magic 18, Deuteronomy 18, and verses 10 and 12. It says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. So kind of a, a good definition of people who are using what we now call sort of the dark arts. Uh, so whether it is a demon who is empowering this guy Simon to actually do some crazy supernatural stuff, or whether he's just sort of doing some magic tricks to, to deceive, it's either a demon who's deceiving the people or it's a man who is deceiving the people. So. What we need to, to look at when we see somebody who seems to have power is we need to look at how they use it. We've talked a little bit about this before, but uh, do they use their power, especially if it's a supernatural power, do they use it to gain popularity, to gain clout, to gain power for themselves? Do they use it to glorify themselves? Or do they use it, that, that supernatural power, and I'm not sure if you noticed it, but there's a little bit of a juxtaposition here in the passage where Philip is, in the verses previous, unclean spirits, they're crying out, they're coming out of possessed people, paralyzed people are being healed, the lame are walking, crazy, actual miracles. And who is being praised in that situation? It's, it's God. Yeah, exactly. And so when you see somebody who's using this power, how are they using it? Are they using it to glorify themselves? Are they using it to gain popularity or power? Or are they using it to love others and empower the sort of marginalized? Because as we see here, Philip is going to the lame, the paralyzed, the possessed, the people who people are like, those are the weirdos, we don't want to have anything to do with them. He goes to them, he loves them, he empowers them, and he does these crazy miracles to them, and then everybody starts getting stirred up and, and recognizes what God is doing. 
And again, Simon sets himself up as someone great. It's totally fine with people thinking that he's the Christ, the great power of God, basically God incarnate. Whereas Philip is like doing these crazy awesome things and pointing to Jesus, preaching in Jesus's name, doing these miracles, not taking any of the credit, not letting people think that he's this great thing, but saying, no, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he preaches that they might receive that Holy Spirit as well. The other thing I want to talk about is, and we talked a little bit about this if you were at the latest Selah service, and that is, who is great in the eyes of God? We talked about true freedom at Selah and what that looks like, and true freedom is becoming a slave. It's, It's serving God and it's serving others, and that is what God says is the greatest of all. He says that at one point when speaking about greatness, he says, look around you and see who's serving you. That person is the greatest in God's eyes. So servants are who are great. Not somebody who's doing all these magical, crazy, weird things, but people who are serving. That's who God sees as great. Also, Jesus says that John the baptizer, he is of all who are born by a woman, which we all have been, everybody has been, but John the Baptist, Jesus says, is the greatest. So Jesus, who is actually the great power of God, God's power incarnate, God on earth as man, obviously he is the greatest man, but he says the greatest man is John, obviously other than himself, John the baptizer. We're going to talk a little bit more about John there, but John came to serve. He came to preach. He came to, again, not take credit for himself, but always saying, no, Jesus is the Christ. He's the one you've been waiting for. Pointing always to God instead of taking the credit for himself. Continuing in verse 11, it says, And they heeded him. This is Simon, who they see as the great power of God. They heeded him because... He had astonished them with his sorceries or his magic arts for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, this is significant that Luke kind of does this throughout when he's writing Acts. He mentions men and women. Here specifically, it's important because when someone was converted or uh, somebody who hadn't been following, maybe they were a Jew and they grew up in a Greek nation, but they realized, hey, I need to follow this law. They sort of got back into the law or when somebody who was not Jewish, but they wanted to live as a Jew, when they converted to Judaism, the men were circumcised. This is the old covenant. That's sort of the start. That's the that's how you begin your conversion. And he was set up, the, the man was set up. He's the leader of the family. He's responsible for everybody in his family, all of his servants, to know the word of God, follow the word of God, for all of them to obey God. And he was the responsible one. So he was the one. You have to do this thing that shows that you are committed to God. And now in the new covenant, Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah 31. He says that no one need teach you anymore. In this, in the, when the new covenant comes, which obviously we're living in that now, 
He says, everyone, each one will know God, from the least to the greatest. Every person will know God. So no longer, Jeremiah says, will you need to teach your neighbor or teach your son or teach your daughter, but everyone will know God, have an intimate relationship with God. So we we don't throw out the uh, spirit of the law that the man is, and this is New Testament also, the man is the head of the household, right? He's the head of the wife. He is still responsible for the family, but it's interesting now that each one of us is responsible for our own faith. It's, it's no longer us leaning on somebody, oh, well, I was never taught, I was never told. Yes, the, God is, is speaking to you always. How are you responding to that? So if we continue in verse 13, then Simon himself also believed. That's amazing. <laughs> Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. So when the counterfeit is sort of compared to the real thing, there's no comparison at all. Everyone's like, wow, this magic guy. And then Philip comes filled with the Holy Spirit, does these incredible miracles, and they're like, you know, Simon who? And Simon himself (laughs) is like, wow, you know? And, And this is sort of the reason Simon has sort of gone down in history and according to um, tradition he's called Simon the Sorcerer or Simon the, Simon the Magi. Simon sounds so good. Uh, no, Simon the Magi or Simon the Sorcerer. But I call him Simon the Samaritan because he is a Samaritan and he he converts. I don't want to define this guy by his old ways, you know, kind of like doubting Thomas. We sort of focused on the negative. Thomas went on to be an, a great apostle, a fantastic man of God. And we just call him Doubting Thomas. The rest of his life, he has to be known by this, you know, one moment. So Simon the Samaritan, he was a sorcerer. He believes. He's baptized. And he's amazed by the miracles and signs, comparing it to his own stuff. Again, whether he was actually doing magic like supernatural stuff empowered by a demon, which does happen. Or if he was, whoa. That was loud. It's okay, (laughs) Or if he's, uh, or if he's actually just doing magic tricks. Either way, there's deception going on and he's amazed by the actual miracles that are happening. Verse 14, now in the apostles, who are at Jerusalem. Again, the apostles have not left Jerusalem. They're still there. Uh, They heard that that Samaria had received the word of God. Again, earlier in the chapter, all with one accord. There is unity in Samaria. When they hear Philip, they are converting to Christianity. And they sent Peter, the apostles sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is that the first time that the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as he? It's not. Jesus refers to him as he uh, quite often. I think the first time is when Jesus prophesies about the coming of the the helper or the comforter and then later he says Uh, he he says the holy spirit and then he says he and he refers to him there but uh yeah this is the holy spirit this is a 
very interesting few verses that we read. And this is sort of a, a widely debated few verses, which we don't have to get too far off in the weed, but I do want to talk about a few things. And before we get into sort of my take on it, this isn't in my notes, but I feel like we should sort of define why it's controversial, right? So some people that are called, I'm going to teach you some new words tonight, maybe, uh, cessationism. So people who are cessationists say that the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this crazy stuff, miracles, lame walking, demons being cast out, that stuff ceased. Right after the apostles did their thing, they wrote the Bible, and once we had the Bible, there was no more miraculous Holy Spirit moving through us. That's cessationism. And then you have continuists, and they, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, they think that the Holy Spirit and the gifts that come from the Holy Spirit, they continue. And that's, that's sort of where we fall, that the Holy Spirit is still alive and well, doing amazing things through Christians. Now, within continuationism, there are also some who, there's some debate about, okay, well, is the Holy Spirit sort of this second thing, this better thing that comes after you're saved? Or do you receive the Holy Spirit when Jesus, when you when you repent and you're baptized, you start obeying, right? When is it that you receive the Holy Spirit? And this is, there's some debate among Christians there. So my take on it is that there is a difference between receiving the gift of grace or receiving the Holy Spirit when you repent and being empowered by the Spirit or the Holy Spirit coming upon you, to use the language of the Bible. That there's a, a over, uh, if being, there's being filled with the Holy Spirit upon salvation, but then there's a being filled to overflowing when the Holy Spirit is moving upon you. So, yeah, you can receive the Spirit of salvation, but because of doubt or some other lack, maybe even a, a lack of understanding, maybe you don't know that much about it, not be filled to overflowing where the Holy Spirit is empowering to you to do miracles or empowering you with a specific gift to do a specific job. You can have salvation and maybe not be empowered that way. We talked about John the Baptizer earlier. Again, Jesus calls him the greatest among men. The greatest among men. Was John the Baptizer filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. Yes, he was. Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says that when the, when the angel shows up to John's mother, he says, you're going to have a baby, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. From his mother's womb, he's filled with the Whoa. Holy Spirit. That is incredible. That's an amazing, different, holy thing, okay? And that's also very cool to sort of recognize when the mothers come together, Mary, pregnant with Jesus. Um, I'm blanking on John's mother. Thank you. <laughs> they, they come together, and the children in the womb, they both leave. Right? They have the same spirit living in them. And, you know, we can, again, not in my notes, but Jesus says, 
when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst, right? The, the spirit is awakened when we have unity. When the spirit, when two people who are filled with the spirit come together, or a group like this, the Holy Spirit here, Jesus is here. We are meeting in his name and he is here with us. It's an incredible thing and, and an exciting thing. So John the baptizer filled with the Holy Spirit. Did John perform any miracles? No? Uh, he prayed over Jesus and the Spirit came upon him. John 10, John 10 says that he performed no sign. Okay. <laughs> he, 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 he performed no sign, right? So my point in saying this, and, and some will obviously say, hey, he was empowered to preach, right? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach, and I believe that, full on. But soon in Acts, we're going to meet another guy, uh, not that soon, in chapter 19, we're going to meet Apollos, and he's empowered to preach. He's well-learned and just filled with understanding of the scriptures. He's preaching Jesus fervently, but he has no knowledge of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even know if there is a Holy Spirit, he says. So my point in saying that is that John, the baptizer, yes, empowered to preach by the Holy Spirit, yes, filled with the Holy Spirit, but he does no sign. Yet Jesus still says he's the greatest. So my point is, we are not great because we do all these crazy miraculous things. Some people, that's not part of their ministry. Some people, God doesn't want them to perform a sign or to do any crazy miracles, but he just wants them to be the greatest in his kingdom because he serves. Sometimes your calling isn't to go out and heal the blind or cast out a demon or to speak in tongues even. And, and that's where we get into this sort of weird thing where it's almost like a second tier. Christians are like, oh, you know, Jesus, but have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you reached this, you know, tier two? Are you better than all those other, you know, feeble Christians? That's not what the Word of God says. No, maybe that's not our calling. Maybe it is our calling, right? Maybe we are supposed to have some supernatural power that He's giving us. I don't know. But what I do know is in 1 Corinthians 12, which we've talked about before, is that there's different parts of the body of Christ. And some have the crazy supernatural thing of healing people. Some have this crazy supernatural thing of doing miracles or speaking in tongues or prophesying, doing these sort of spotlight things, right? But some don't have that. And even in 1 Corinthians 12, it says with our body, right? The body that, the part of our bodies that we cover up you know, we protect in battle or we wear pants, right? Those have more honor, Paul says, right? They're, they're important parts. The, our heart, right? Our, uh, the parts you don't see, the parts that aren't in the spotlight, right? Not the face, not the head or the arms or hands or feet, not those parts. He says those have more honor, right? So just because you aren't filled with power and do all these crazy things does not mean you're less great in the kingdom of God. For, again, Jesus says, the greatest is the one who's serving. Not the one who's in the spotlight, but the person who's humbly serving, as John the baptizer did. Now, the other thing we've got to talk about in this conversation is that someone can have faith, be obedient, right? Whether it be just baptism, or maybe it's even actually just living a Christian life. But they can deny 
the power of the Holy Spirit. They can deny the power of God. Say, I don't want it. And there's some strong language that warns us against people like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, there's very stern warnings to steer clear of someone who, the quote is, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And if you read that passage, it's pretty specific. Uh, the things that that type of person will do, you can think of whole denominations, and you can recognize and spot types of people that you're like, okay, they are they are this list. I should steer clear of this person. They're not a safe person. They're not actually a godly person, even though they believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and they're living this seemingly godly life. Uh, they're doing all these things, and they're denying the power of God. So be careful there. You don't want to get too judgy. Uh, we need to, to, you know, be gracious there. But the Bible does give us specific ways to spot certain types of people. So keep that in mind. Again, that's 2 Timothy 3 if you want to look at that. Let's get back to Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 17. Also, um, we're going to find out here if Simon is this guy, right? We already saw that he, he himself believed and he was baptized, right? But then it says the uh, Peter and John are sent to receive the Holy Spirit because, verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, right? So the Holy Spirit has not fallen upon them, but they believe, that word is used interchangeably with faith throughout the whole Bible. They have faith, they're obeying, right? First thing is being baptized, they are being baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, it says, are these people saved? Yeah, right? Yeah, so they, they have the spirit of salvation, but then it says the Holy Spirit has not fallen upon them. Again, there's different language being used there that they haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, they haven't been empowered to do these gifts. And yes, this was happening a lot more often because Christianity is booming, it's just starting, and it is spreading like wildfire. You know, again, Jesus is prophesied. John the baptizer says, when the Christ comes, when Jesus does his thing, I am baptizing with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's what's, being ha that's what's happening right now. And many are being filled with the Holy Spirit. But interesting also that there's sort of a submission thing happening here where Philip obviously has the power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing miracles. He's... He's very much empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just filled with him because of salvation, but filled with power by the Holy Spirit. He knows about the Holy Spirit. It's not like he didn't tell them, but he waits for the apostles. He waits for what was then the eldership to come, lay hands on these people, and let the Holy Spirit divide the gifts as he sees fit. Philip's not going to take that responsibility. He says, I'm in submission to the apostles. They come down and they pray this prayer. Verse 17, then they laid hands on them, speaking of these Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. Obviously already saved, they have faith, they've been baptized, they're being obedient, but now they are receiving the Holy Spirit. And Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given he offered them money. So before we get into offering them money, there's some, some mixed emotions there. But 
again, the new covenant is no one will teach you. You will know God. You have faith. You're being obedient. You know God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. So them receiving the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, clearly a different and separate thing. Not necessarily, oh, they didn't have the Holy Spirit before and now they do. No, they had the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of salvation, but the Spirit had not fallen upon them, empowered them to do crazy things. And Simon here is not impressed because they are saved. They have the Spirit of salvation. He's impressed because they're doing miraculous things and he wants it. So he offers them money in verse 18. In verse 19, it says, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Again, some mixed feelings here with Simon. Man, you, you have faith, you're being obedient, and now you're asking for the Holy Spirit. Is it a good thing to ask for the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. But people can ask for good and godly things and be out of line because of their motives. Sometimes we don't know people's motives. We have to be careful. We don't want to, again, be too judgy. But sometimes people's motives become very clear. And this guy, he's used to being perceived as very powerful. He's used to being in the limelight. And we know that he loves it. His motive is not to glorify God by being used by the Holy Spirit, but his motive is to use the Holy Spirit to glorify himself. Right? He's not like, God, use me, and I will glorify you with everything. He's like, give me that power so I can empower other people. So I will look great. That's his motive. Right? And the Holy Spirit, we're going to see Peter get pretty fired up here. The Holy Spirit's not for sale. The Holy Spirit's purpose is not to impress people. Simon's trying to impress people. Oh, I want people to think I'm cool, and I want to have the power to empower others. Again, that's not a bad thing, but to do it for your own glory, that's the bad thing. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to draw people into right relationship with God the Father, and to help those who have right relationship with God to to be their comforter, to be their helper. Um, this is in my notes but a uh, pastor I really like and I listen to a lot of his stuff he's been on this kick about talking about covert people and overt people he says to beware of covert people people who are kind of shut off they don't want to tell you anything they're very closed off they hide, they're hiding things for a reason you don't know why they're so closed off but they're covert they're hiding things right And then he he talks about overt people, not hiding anything. You know what they feel. You know what they think. You know how they feel about you. You know if they're mad at you. You know if they're happy with you. Very overt, clear people. And he says to beware of covert people. They're probably not safe. And to look for overt people who are are being clear with their emotions and their their actions. So what we do see here... What I see here when I look at this, again, it's sort of off topic, but we see Simon in the beginning being covert, right? He's claiming to be someone great. Not anything specific because he doesn't want to give a name 
because if maybe it's researched, they're like, no, you're not Elijah, because the Bible says this. So he's being sort of vague about it. He's being covert. He's doing these magical things, but he's not saying exactly who he is. He's letting other people draw the conclusions. Here he is being overt. He's saying, I want the power of the Holy Spirit because I want to do this and that, right? There, there has been, in my opinion, what I'm seeing, there has been a shift there. He has moved from being covert to being over. Verse 20 says, But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. Now, another sort of side note. The Bible talks about death in two different ways. We saw with the life of Stephen that after they stoned him, he, quote, fell asleep. And the New Testament uses that language for Christians dying very often. When a Christian dies, they fell asleep. And the implication there is they fall asleep and they awake to eternal life. Jesus says, he who has faith in me and does what I say will never die. Okay? You close your eyes, you awake to Jesus. Right? It also talks about people dying in the way of perishing. Because there's another death. You die, and then you wake up, you're judged, and you die again. And that's an eternal death. And when it uses this word perish, uh, it's a harsh admonishment from Peter. He's saying, keep your money and take it to hell with you. Harsh. Very harsh. Your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. He says, you're not even truly saved. You're on your way to hell. Again, very harsh words from Peter. Now, this is not permission to use this kind of rebuke to everybody who you sort of disagree with, right? Most of the time, we don't know the heart of a person, right? We don't know why exactly they're doing or saying certain things. We don't know their heart. And we need to recognize and know that Jesus is the only righteous one who can judge the heart. Jesus judges the heart, not us. However, sometimes people reveal their heart and we're supposed to warn them when we recognize them, warn them of danger. And that's what Peter's doing. He doesn't just curse Simon, however. He doesn't just say, go to hell, right? No, he, he says, how dare you? You're on the wrong path. You're headed towards hell. And then he says, verse 22, repent. He doesn't just say, go to hell. You're cursed. You're wrong. You're, you know, ensued name calling. He says, you're on the path to hell. You know, you're cursed. You're, you're not in the right way. And then he says, repent. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. When you warn somebody, when you do recognize, when people are overtly revealing their heart and it's the wrong way, don't back down from warning them. But don't just tell them that they're damned and they're on their way to hell. Call them from their damnation. Call them to forgiveness and call them to glory. Say, repent, come away from your wickedness. Ask that God will 
forgive you of your wickedness, and spend eternity with God. Check my time. We won't go to Galatians chapter 6, but there we are told to, if we see someone in sin, the beginning of chapter 6 in Galatians, he says those who are spiritual, right? People who are Christians, we, we recognize a brother stumbling or falling. He says, bear their burden with them and bring them out of their wickedness. It's okay. Galatians chapter 6. But we are, for time's sake, we're not going to go there. We're going to continue in verse 23. Peter says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. This is getting super personal now, and this is, in my opinion, a word of knowledge given to Peter by the Holy Spirit. Bitterness. Like, when I see what Simon did and said, like, I don't think bitterness. This is the Holy Spirit highlighting something, and we see that happen in, in Peter's life earlier with Ananias and his wife. He sells this property. He says he's going to go out and give all the money to the church, and then he holds some of it back. Peter says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You didn't you steal or lie to us? You did it to the Holy Spirit, and Ananias and his wife dropped dead, right? The, the word of knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit that we see in the life of Peter, and we see it again here, calling out Simon's bitterness, specifically bitterness, and this is the, the root of the, the wicked request that Simon has. And Hebrews chapter 12 warns us against the root of bitterness because it's a dangerous root. If somebody hurts us, some sin has been done against us, and we don't deal with it and uproot that thing, it can choke out our faith. And this is early in Simon's faith. It's early in Simon's Christianity, and already that root of bitterness is choking, choking out his faith. Jesus tells the, the story of the, the sower and the seeds and how the different grounds that they fall on, uh, and, and one of them is the seed that falls on weedy ground and the weeds choke it out. That's the root of bitterness. That's what's happening here with Simon. And he says he's bound by iniquity. He's back in, he, he's clearly in bondage to his sin still. He has not been set free. He says that you have no part or portion with us. Verse 24, then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Simon repents here. And only God knows, but I really hope to see the Samaritan in heaven one day. I, I really, and again, that's why I don't want to call him Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the, the Magician. He's not going back to those ways. He even repents. He, he says, yeah, I see I was wrong. And we can do that so easily is we can live this Christian life and get tangled up again in stuff that we used to do. And when that happens, we need to repent and we need to, as Simon does, ask people to pray for us. Not just keep it to ourselves, not be covert and hide all, all our sins, but go to people and say, I'm struggling, man, and I need some help. I need the Holy Spirit to come help me do this thing, but I also need my friends to, to keep me accountable and keep me from doing these things. Finally, verse 25, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the two things I want to leave you with tonight 
is again, not to be afraid to confront when the spirit moves you to do so. Um, you might lose a friend when you do. When you see somebody doing something, saying something that is overtly wicked, revealing their heart and, and you're not on the right path, do not back down from telling them you're on the wrong path. Repent of this thing. Turn away from that. That is filth. That is going to lead you to hell. Turn to Jesus and let him lead you to heaven. You might lose a friend when you do that. They might reject you. They might reject the gospel. They might reject Christ. But Matthew 18, famous chapter about dealing with conflict. It says, if they repent, when you confront them, then you've gained a brother. So you might lose a friend, but you might gain a brother. And you're all women here tonight. You might gain a sister. Okay? <laughs> Don't be afraid of losing the friend, but hope, right? First Corinthians 13 tells us to hope all things. It's the loving thing to do. And hope that you won't lose that friend, that they will turn it around, love them, and hope that that brings them into the right way, the right relationship with God. The final thing I want to leave you with is that we are not all called to have the same gift or the same ministry. I touched on that earlier, but the Bible tells us to accept our lot in life. Some are called to do amazing, crazy miracles, to travel the world and heal people of leprosy and, you know, do all these crazy things. And we need to believe in and empower people who have that gifting to the best of our ability. But some of us aren't called to do those things. Some of us are called to stay home. I don't know what your gifting is and I don't want to I don't want to make you feel like oh I shouldn't pursue that thing. If God is calling you to do crazy amazing miracles and be empowered by the Holy Spirit, if you have the gift of tongues, don't shy away from those things. That's definitely not what I want to do. The Bible tells us not to quench the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is moving upon you to do something, say something, go somewhere, do some crazy outlandish thing, follow the Holy Spirit. Make sure it's the Holy Spirit, but follow the Holy Spirit. But some of us are called merely to support people who have those giftings. Or some of us are merely called to serve and be great in God's eyes because of that service. But whatever God's calling you to do, whatever calling he has for your life, don't be bitter about it. Right? Accept your lot in life. Don't be bitter about it the way Simon was. I want that powerful thing. I want the limelight. I like the limelight. I like being in front of people. I like doing those things. I want to do that. Simon, if if he did turn it around, right, and he lived a Christian life, he hold the, held the beginning of his confidence, you know, faithful to the end, he likely never received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's probably not his calling because he couldn't handle it. He had, he had already revealed how he would react if he had that. We have different callings from God. And if the laying on of hands didn't work for Simon, maybe that's what Peter saw as bitterness. He's bitter because he didn't, he was not in power. Because God sees our heart and knows what we can handle. And he says, I love you. I can't have you going off on this weird thing. Instead of being bitter about your calling, receive your calling with joy. God has chosen you to do an amazing thing for his kingdom. Even if it's just serving, 
It's an amazing calling of God. The God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, the, the creator of everything, chose you to do something for him. That's amazing. And however he uses you, be glad that he's using you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for choosing us, for filling us with your spirit unto salvation, God. And I know that uh, some people here have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and have done amazing, miraculous things, seen, heard, and said amazing, miraculous things. So God, we thank you for that opportunity. God, if you have a calling for any of us, in that direction, uh, to be empowered by your spirit. I pray that you would lead us to our, our leaders in our church, ask that they lay their hands on us and empower us in the way that you want us to be empowered, God. I pray that you will help us to be in submission to them and in uh, most importantly in submission to you, God. Not seek our own, but to seek what you have us to do, God. We love you and we praise you. I thank you for everything you're doing in each of our lives. And I pray that you will uh, lead us to take that next step for you. In Jesus' name, amen.